Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome again today to another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein. And we tend to do that through the worlds and spaces of books and authors and sports, comedy, music, the list goes on and on, and we're killing a couple birds with one stone today with having Nate pile on from one of my favorite communities, the Indianapolis, Indiana area, where they like to cheer for the uh, Indianapolis Colts and the Indiana Pacers and Indiana or Purdue or Notre Dame or all those kind of things. And as Nate and I got rock and rolling to start things out, I'm wearing a Grace College hat today, which I'm a big fan of. And my son goes to school at, and we had to make a little connection there for Nate, and he shared that he's still a Michigan guy at heart. So, Nate, tell us about Michigan life transferred down to Indiana life. Are you a are you a missionary for all things Michigan, <laughs> Spartans, Wolverines, whatever? How does Michigan to Indiana life go? Yeah, so I feel like part of that is I am a missionary and evangelist of the wonder that is the beautiful state just to the north here. Uh, I encourage people to take vacations up there all the time. But then also I am someone who offers comfort to a people <laughs> who are used to their sports teams winning and to having a dominant football presence. And as a lifelong Lions fan, I am helping them learn how to embrace defeats and dashed expectations. You know, it's funny about you saying this. We had a guy on the podcast a while back. He wrote a book called The Christian Athlete, Brian Smith, who's on staff with Athletes mm-hmm. in Action. And he was very similar to you. I mean, he was bold and passionate about his love for the Detroit Lions. Uh, a friend of mine who's a pastor up in Tiffin, who's speaking at our fall retreat for my day job, the gathering in the Miami Valley, passionate mm-hmm. Detroit Lions fan. And outside of my brother-in-law, who's from Ypsilanti, I don't think I knew anybody was really cheering for the Lions until the last <laughs> few years, and now you guys are dropping in all over the place. So uh, what, what, what have you learned about God through being a Detroit Lions fan? God meets you in defeat. I mean, that's where <laughs> when you are at your lowest, that's where you often find God right there alongside of you, ready to pick you up, give you hope. And when that hope feels far off, God will meet you there again. Like this is the, the story of a Lions fan, right? I'm assuming that you, whether you regularly have it or not, you – got HBO for a bit last year when they did uh, Hard Knocks. Did you get to see that Hard Knocks Detroit Lions season? I did not. I I did not. I didn't have HBO at the time. I have it now, and it's on my list to go back and watch. Oh, Nate. Well, see, it, and it's, it's kind of odd because you being a Lions fan, it, you would think it's a no-brainer. I mean, I love it because the thing that, to me about Hard Knocks and then – they had the one on Amazon Prime that they haven't been doing called what was it All In or something like that and it was it was very similar. I, I think it's hard unless you, unless you're the Dallas Cowboys, unless you're the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. I don't think you can watch Hard Knocks and not fall in love with whatever team they're doing. And the Lions team, particularly to me, was was a fun season for them to watch. I mean, uh, what's the head coach Dan Campbell? Dan Campbell, mm-hmm. like all his assistant coaches, pretty much played in the NFL. 
and then just watching, uh, you know, Jared Goff, and, and then they had a backup quarterback. What's the backup? David um, ended up bouncing around. I think he ended up with the Cardinals. He played for the Vikings briefly. Uh, Christian guy, he he was really interesting to watch. But man, you you if you're that big a Lions fan, you've got to be watching out like ASAP. Don't tell me you've now got HBO and you haven't seen it. <laughs> No, I, I I honestly haven't. Right, uh, so I, I, maybe I'm not as big of a fan as I thought. Wow! I was. But you know, I, I'm enough of a fan to say the lines are looking up, and yeah. it seems like we're getting some good press these days, and and the expectations are high. But I say all that, and it is very. Uh, there's, you know, I'm not I'm not jumping on. You can't go too far down that road, otherwise those hopes it'll it'll hurt at the end of the season because that's what we're used to so seeing college football. i mean just think about it the lions have had barry sanders yeah. we've had megatron. megatron we've had some huge names and we have helped them end their careers early yeah yeah that's true i'm trying to think how long did billy sims play oh you that's not a question i'm gonna have the answer for but he played not, yeah i, I think he, he might have played a little bit longer yeah you're right with megatron and uh calvin johnson and uh barry sanders they both uh you know end it early but so i'm trying to weed off college football a bit i'm so tired of all this conference realignment i'm gonna i'm a tennessee fan which makes me an sec fan because tennessee's just not producing like they could and should um college football mm-hmm. is just kind of making me nuts so i'm probably watching a little bit more nfl but even that i'm trying to wean off a little bit but you know when you watch these preseason things and, and everybody tries to figure out every team and every season before it even starts i think second year in a row it's hard to not look at the lions and think there's a chance they could really do something. I mean, Minnesota, are they going to do exactly what they did last year? Packers are dropping. There's no doubt about it. Bears, come on. The Bears ain't yep. doing nothing. So uh, the Lions could easily win that division, I think. I think I think that I think that's true. They they look good. The team is is uh, playing really well. They just they don't have like a standout player, yeah, uh, like a Barry Sanders or whatever. But they just they have a lot of really good role players right now. Yeah, yeah and Dan, Dan Campbell seems like the type of guy that he's getting the m- most out of every everything on that team he's able yeah. to get. They just he he's had, he's the strongest coach they've had in a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say so. if you look at their history, you put a picture of Dan Campbell up next to Wayne Fonts. I think, I think Dan Campbell's winning out in that equation. So, yep. Well, Nate, I better yep. get off this topic. We could stay here all day. So uh, we got we got we got a book and a topic of, of manhood and man, men being enough. We want to talk about and church world and the like. So, Nate, start us off. Give us like your three minute testimony. How'd you come to Jesus? What was that like? So, uh, grew up in West Michigan area, uh, and uh, which is the center of reformed sort of church world, Dutch reformed church world. And so grew up with a family that was very committed to the church. I mean, my parents, we went to church twice on Sunday, once on Monday nights for it's kind of like Boy Scouts that they called cadets. Uh, Wednesday night catechism, youth group was in there. I mean, like I did the whole church thing and just grew up in that. My All my extended family was a part of the church, which was great. It's wonderful. It gave me a, a really strong foundation, but uh, it wasn't until I was in high school, got involved in Young Life. Oh, yeah. I was pretty involved in Young Life, went to camp, and uh, hey, there it is right there, Trail West. That's right. I uh, got involved in Young Life, and that's when faith really became my own. And so while I was in high school, yet became a junior leader when I was in college or summers between high school and college. I would did work crew at a camp. The next summer, I did summer staff at a camp. I became a Young Life leader. And that's really where Jesus became real. Jesus became personal. And all of the stuff that I had learned growing up began to make sense to me. And so, yeah, that 
that's a little bit of, you know, there's never been a time in my life where I haven't known Jesus. And that's not necessarily what people would say is the the flashy testimony, but it's the exact testimony that I want from my kids, uh, yeah. that there's never a time in their life where they don't know Jesus. And that something happens, whether it's a camp experience, a person or whatever, Jesus becomes real to them. So, you know, you, you saw I'm wearing a Young Life shirt right now. Good friends of mine who yep. the wife I did Young Life with years ago, they went to Trail West for a family camp. So I'm, I'm sporting my, my Young Life shirt. So where all did you go to camp? So I've been to like Sharp Top. I've uh, been to Windy Gap. I've been to Castaway. I've been to Champion. Uh, you know, I've been to uh, Saranac. I've been to a bunch. Well, where all did you go to camp? Yeah, I've been as a camper. I was at Castaway. I did work crew and summer staff at – uh, Windy Gap, North Carolina. I've been to Timberwolf Lodge up in Michigan. Uh, Lake Champion mm-hmm. did the uh, the backpacking trips that they do out west. I did one of them in oh, wow. Wyoming area, one of them in Colorado. Yeah, and then uh, what's the other one I've been to? I've been to one other, and I can't remember its name off the top of my head. So, yeah, I've been to a few. That's uh, Rockbridge. Did you by chance go to Rockbridge in Virginia? That was the one. That's I left the out. one. Rockbridge. Rockbridge. So we've yeah, been to almost all the same camps that I, I guess I've got Sharp Top and you've got Trail West and, and whatever, but we otherwise we've pretty much covered those bases. So have you taken, I'm curious because I know this is true of me, have you taken a lot of what you learned and what you gained from Young Life from a relational side of ministry and applied that to senior pastor yeah. role, preaching to everything else you've been a part of? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I loved about Young Life is how heavily emphasized relationships are. And as a leader, it's just drilled into you, earn the right to be heard, Mm -hmm. Uh, build those relationships with kids, earn the right to be heard, be involved in their life, do what they call contact work. So you're at the school and you're going to the games and you're taking kids out for lunch or whatever it is like that just translates naturally into ministry. And I think that that idea of earn the right to be heard and that that is something that all pastors need to, I think, wrestle with in some capacity, because there is a certain like the office of pastor comes with some authority and even and a certain level of privilege into people's lives. But we can think like we just have it because you have the title, you have the office, people are going to listen to you. There's a sense to which that's true, but you should earn that right to hurt, be heard. You should be involved in people's lives. You should know what's going on. You should be relational. And uh, yeah, Young Life definitely gave me a great foundation for that. So it's interesting to me because I think Young Life really stands out. I mean, you know, I think crew probably has it on some level, but I think Young Life really stands out and is known for not just talking about relationships, but really doing it. And I think, not to pick on the local church, but I do think sometimes we've created this culture where, you know, a guy like you, we don't expect a senior pastor to be out involved in the community or meet with people one-on-one. It's always about preaching. It's about setting direction. It's about leadership. It's about pastoral care. It's about funerals. Mm -hmm. It's about whatever. And I literally just had a conversation yesterday with our youth pastor. So I'm a lay leader at our church and kind of helped co-lead our men's ministry and do some hosting and small group stuff and whatever. And I told him, I said, Hey, if you ever want someone to come in and challenge your, your youth group leaders on the vital importance of relationship building, not just like, Hey, I can go lead songs at our Monday night youth group thing, or I can you know, do this skit or I can speak or whatever. I said, somehow in church world, now I'm talking big C church world, parachurch ministries included. It just seems like it's such a rare breed to find people who get the relational incarnational ministry, famous young life phrase you said, earning a right to be heard. Why do you think that is? And why does that maybe not transfer well beyond young life? I mean, church world, I think sometimes makes it very difficult why is that and how do we change that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I know the whys to that, but one of the things I might be true is 
that within church world, we've so compartmentalized faith and maybe hyper-spiritualized it so that it only has value if we are reading the Bible or we're praying or whatever. And those are the things that are thought to be the most important. But what I learned in young life was having that spiritual conversation is important with a kid about where they are with their faith and the questions they have about Jesus, all of that matters. But the only reason you get there is when you're showing up in the backyards mm. and playing wiffle ball, you know, wiffle ball with a bunch of, bunch of, bunch of guys. Yep. And young life taught me that that matters. Mm. And sometimes I would love for us in the church to say Bible studies matter, you know, getting together and praying with people matters, but equally as important is just sitting around a table with a bunch of people and having a meal. Like you don't even, you know, you can pray before the meal or whatever, but just that has spiritual relational value that isn't quantifiable. And I don't know that that's always within church world been seen as valuable. You know, we got to do the Bible study. We, we got to have that small group where people are really connecting and praying for one another and all of that. Yes. Amen. That's good. I don't want to pit those against each other, but sometimes just getting people to share a meal together, mm-hmm. getting people to have a card night, getting people to play yard games, whatever. There's a ton of value there and we shouldn't overlook it. You know, it's interesting about what you're saying. So there's a guy we've had on this podcast a couple of times who does incredible ministry. His name's Matthew Sleeth. Uh, he's out of Lexington, Kentucky, uh, doctor by trade, but kind of left that world and went into ministry. He's written some books. He really speaks to mental health and suicide, speaks to the the uh, significance of trees in God's word. He's just got a plethora of Sabbath living, uh, hospitality. And I asked him one time, I said, what's the number one way you've grown in Christ? He's known the Lord. He met the Lord at like 47. He's been walking with the Lord for just over two decades. You know, you're expecting Bible study, prayer, you know, solitude. Mm-hmm. You're expecting something like that. And he said, hospitality. And I'm like, what? It just shocked mm-hmm. me. Like, that's the number one way you've grown in Christ. And him and his wife are highly hospitable. And he starts unpacking it. Why? And I'm like, Okay. Yeah. That and for a relational guy like me, that shouldn't have been such a shock and an unheard of answer, but it really was. So um let's mm-hmm. let's go into your church world a little deeper. So we, we talked before we got on here about Indianapolis and I know some churches over there and I've got a friend on staff that um their website's your church. I forgot which church that is over there. There's Northview, which I've been to a couple times for conferences. We talked about harvest. You're at Christ Community Church. Uh, there's another uh, Bible church I know close to over there that's supposed to be really good. What is it like pastoring in a community that feels like a, a little bit of a Midwestern Bible Belt? All those mm-hmm. areas around you, Fishers, Westfield, Noblesville, they're growing like crazy. So it would be easy to think this is just Christian culture. What's the yay yeah. and the nay of your work as a pastor in that broader part of Indianapolis? Oh, man, that is a... That is a huge question. Well, the part of Indianapolis that I'm on is on the or in is on the north side, and it's a very affluent area. Uh, it tends to be conservative in its politics, and so, like you said, it's got like that Bible Belt feel where it's just assumed that everybody is a Christian is involved in in church. The other thing that's true about this area is it's full of really big churches with lots of multi-sites. I mean, I think if I were to draw a five mile radius around my church and we we're relatively small, I mean, we worship just over a hundred uh, uh, down from pre-COVID, you know, everybody's still coming back from COVID times. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you drive that, draw that five mile radius around our church and, and there's gotta be at least six mega churches plus their multi-site campuses. And so, in some ways, doing ministry here is 
helping people not just fall into the trappings of cultural Christianity mm. and um, and actually having their own personal vibrant faith. Uh, I think that that's a big part of it and helping people engage questions in an area. I mean, it's a very suburban area, right? So you know, we don't do necessarily well with questions or breaking out of normalcy. There's just like the status quo thing mm. that is expected within suburban se- settings. And so helping people engage questions, uh, asking, hel- helping people think differently about their faith or even about what they want out of life uh, in an area that very much has a, this is what is normal. This is what is status quo. This is what is expected of you. So, yeah. I'm from Nashville originally. And with my mom, my mom and dad, my little sister are still there. And, you know, when I've talked to people from Nashville with music industry, there, book industry, there, there's a real Christian hub there. A lot of what I've heard them say is, is what you are now. Obviously it's not as conservative, right wing, maybe whatever is what you've got there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, a lot of what you said right there is what I hear them saying too, about an authentic, passionate pursuit center saved by mm-hmm. grace you know yada 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 so i want to get to the heart of what we need to talk about here because it's interesting i didn't know all your young life background there but it, it almost feels like i'm not as good looking maybe as you and probably as athletic or whatever but i feel <laughs> like i feel like there's a mirror thing here young life that kind of approach to life and ministry you mm-hmm. have a heartbeat for men why is the topic mm-hmm. of men and reaching men being man enough as your book title is why is that something you stick your hat in that ring when you don't have to do that? Frankly, it it all started for me when I had my first son, when my first son was born. Mm -hmm. And as he began to, to grow and as I began to have dreams and hopes for what his life would be like and how he would move through the world. And I wanted him to experience something different than what I experienced. Um, But I also knew that I would require me to change. And I was struggling to kind of fit that into the box regarding masculinity that it had been handed down to me, not just by like my, my dad or my grandfather, but just by the Christian culture that I was in. So for me, one of the, one of the moments was, I remember I was sitting on the bed with my son, he was about one years old and I was just watching him do his thing. And it dawned on me that there would come a period in time in which I would need to ask for his forgiveness because without a doubt, I was going to let him down. I was not going to be everything that he needed me to be. I was uh, going to miss games. I was going to be absent from certain conversations. I was going to fail to affirm him and sort of like he was going to have to, or I was going to have to apologize to him. And I would also have to be open to him telling me all the ways that I let him down. And that began to force me to ask a question like what it needs to change in me so that he feels comfortable saying that and isn't going to feel like I'm going to get defensive or blow up or not listen or whatever. Like I have to be the kind of person where he feels it's safe to come to me and becoming that kind of person didn't line up with any of the resources about what it meant Mm. to be a man that I saw that were out there. Everything else that I saw about a man was like, you should have an adventure or have a beauty to save, or you need to bat to fight a battle, or you need to, you know, have this really strong stoic presence. Like that was sort of like the the caricature that was given to me, but I didn't see how being a safe person for my son to come to me, come to and say, this is how you let me down, or even the harder word, this is how you failed me. Like, I just didn't know where that fit in there. And so that was one of the ways in which it started to undo and force undo my 
understandings of masculinity, forced me to ask some questions about masculinity, and really made me want to invest in this because I wanted to contribute to the conversation around what it means to be a man such that I was being challenged and it was also changing the world for my son. Wow. How old are your kids again? And what's the sex uh, my, Yeah, so my oldest now is 13, and then my youngest is five. Those are my two boys, and then my daughter's seven. So what's interesting about what you just said there, I, I really resonate with that. I really like how in, in, in your book you talk about the image. Uh, we're image bearers, and us being made an image of God is really kind of the core of what you're building things around. My oldest son just moved out two and a half weeks ago. He works at our church, works at Lowe's, goes to classes online uh, through Grand Canyon. He wanted to beat his uh, younger brother, who's two years younger than him, before he went out to Grace College. And we kind of laugh like that ain't going to mm-hmm. happen. It did. And then that following Saturday, my wife and I take our middle son to Grace. And like when we get in the car to drive back home Sunday afternoon, I don't know what I was expecting that to be like, but I was just overwhelmed with emotion of like, I'm proud of him. I'm a lot sadder than I thought seeing him go. I'm super excited he's going to the school that if I was God and had my way, he went to where I would have chosen for him to go. And then I started thinking about failures and like, man, did I let him down? And so all those questions you're talking about hit me. I got home. I can't remember if it was Sunday or the next day. I Googled kids going to college, TGC for Gospel Coalition. Russ Ramsey, who I'm somewhat familiar with, who pastors down in Nashville, Mm -hmm. has written. He wrote an article several years ago about all the failures you feel as a dad when you drop your kid off at college. I thought, oh, my mm-hmm. goodness. He wrote this article about me. He didn't ask my permission. It happened before I actually got there. But yeah. you're not quite at that point yet, Nate. But how do we kind of live in that and wrestle with that? That inevitably my boys and my three boys and a daughter, they're going to have some father wounds for me and yet be okay mm-hmm. with, hey, I've, try- I've tried by God's grace to do what I can do. I've invested where I have. Would I, would I do things differently? 100%. Some things I would mm-hmm. double down on, but where have you come to a place of feeling there's freedom in there, not beating ourselves up with guilt? We're an image bearer as well. We're made in the image of God as yep. a parent, as a man, because what I read and what I felt, I'm like, I can't imagine any dad, if they're trying to be Jesus to their kids, doesn't feel this when they drop their kid off. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that, that, that that's where it really begins to force us to accept grace. Do we really believe grace and that grace is sufficient even for me and even for my kids in the midst of this? Like if I have unintentionally inflicted wounds into my kids, is grace going to cover that? Do I believe that? And do, and, and do I believe it to such that I have already fostered uh, within my relationship with the kid, my kids, a habit of asking for forgiveness Mm. like do they know that if they were to come to me and say hey i've been wrestling with this and it's in part of my wrestling i realized you didn't do this or this thing always made me question you know when you would do this it made me question this about myself do they feel safe coming to that because they already know that my dad will take responsibility for that and we Mm. can have a hard conversation but there's going to be grace for him, grace for me, and we'll be able to reconcile. Yeah. Like, and see, what's interesting about that, and maybe keep going with that, you you have an overwhelming sense in this book of promoting and talking about vulnerability and weakness, mm-hmm. which is not something we overly mm-hmm. want to lift up with men many a times in whatever our roles no. are. But yet you really 
dig in there. Talk more about vulnerability and weakness and where that flushes itself out. Us being the dads we should be or the men we should be. Right, right. And I really want to say like, because I think some people read and the weakness and they hear be doormats. That's not what I'm talking yeah. about here. But like when you talk about vulnerability, it is the willingness to be wounded, right? Or you have the ability to be wounded. So if my kid, if my son comes to me and says, dad, you know, you let me down here, <laughs> that hurts. That's a wounding, right? I But I have to be willing to, to do that. And so there is there's actually a kind of strength that says I will survive even those painful moments. And so I'm going to live my life open hearted enough that people can come to me and they can share my weaknesses with me, my faults with me. And then out of that weakness, I can lean back into the strength of God and be transformed into somebody who has learned from their mistakes and has repented from them. When it comes to weakness as men, so often we're told we can't be weak. We have to be strong. We have to be that rock for our family, for our kids, for others. But the problem is, is if we are never weak, then we never get to experience the, the strength of God, right? Paul says, in my weakness, then I learn that you're strong. Mm. If I'm never allowed to be weak, then I never get to learn that God is strong. I never get to learn how abundant and overwhelming and profound grace truly can be if I never let myself be told that I make a mistake, that I've messed up. And this may be too practical or whatever, but there's something, it is a gift to our kids to allow them to come to someone as important in their life as their dad and say, hey, I think I think this was wrong and you did that. Like what kind of what kind of self confidence does that build in your kid, and how then is he going to be able or she going to be able to go to somebody else in their life and be like, "Hey, this was wrong," or "I don't deserve to be treated like this," or whatever? Like it just breeds confidence within our kids, and that's a gift to them to know that their needs are legitimate, that their experiences are real, and that they can take control of them in a way that helps them get those needs met and those wounds healed. When I message uh, folks like you and tell you, okay, here's kind of the script. We're going to go where Holy Spirit leads. You know, I know i got more content here that we can get through, but, you know, something God's really shown me as you're speaking is I do this exercise. I just did it with four people. I got one more to do it with over the last couple of months, and it's called Pop the Bubble. Stephen Mansfield, who's mm-hmm. written stuff uh, for men, about men, um, he does this exercise where you take about nine questions, and you get with people that really have your back, that love you, have proven it, and they get to answer some really hard questions about you. Things like, mm-hmm. what is something I like about myself that isn't serving me well as a leader? Uh, what is most off-putting about me? When you've seen someone shrink from me, what about me caused this? I've mm-hmm. never thought about this per se, but I'm thinking about it. I might get these questions in front of my kids. and let Because yeah. what I find is there's some real freedom. Like, man, you really want to hear where you're falling short. And there tends to be way more grace that goes with it than you think. It, it feels a little self-serving that way. But I'm like, I haven't really thought about sitting down with each of my four kids and walking through this with them. My daughter's 14, my boys are 16, 18, and 20, and saying, have at it. Yep. We've done some yep. stuff, but we haven't my, done that per se. I've done exercises like that as well. The one I've done is you go to someone, like you said, who you, who, who you know loves you and you can trust, and you ask, you know, what are three things you can always count on me for? Mm. And what are three things that you can't count on me for? Ooh. Yeah, right. Sucks. It's awful. But 
same type of thing. I want to do that with my kids when they get to the age where they can really begin, you know, when they can wrap their minds around that. My son at 13 is about ready. Like I would love to have that conversation with him at some point of what, what are three things you can always count on me for and three things you can't count on me for. Sorry, you got to keep talking. I'm typing this stuff up. No, no I'm typing it up. <laughs> right? and, but again, I want to give my son not only the permission to speak to me in, in such an honest and forthright way, I want him to know that it, it's okay to name the hard things with folks. Yeah. And, and not everybody has the emotional maturity to be able to hear yes. that. But I want to grow the capacity of my son and all my, my, my daughter and my other son. I want them to have the emotional capacity to be able to speak those words into others and to learn the skill to do it and to, to say those things in a way that others can hear. Yeah. Right. Like to be able to speak that kind of truth to another person, like if they have that ability. Like mm-hmm. that affects their ability to be leaders. It affects their yes. ability to have emotionally mature relationships that affects their ability to remain defined and connected to other people in contentious situations. Like it is a gift I can give them by allowing them to say really hard things to me, but I also have to be willing to hear them. Right. Like I don't want to just ask the question and then they say it and I don't take it to heart. Like I actually want to hear them. I want to make this like, if they say, here are the three things we can't count on you for. I want to show them then what repentance looks like. And repentance mm. means I hear it, I apologize, and I change. I'm a big believer that if we lived out, as it John 1, 14, about Jesus was full of grace and full of truth, if we could flesh that out and really, man, I think it's I think it's possible, Holy Spirit, that's not beyond Holy Spirit working us to walk fully in grace and in truth. I think that would lead to mature reproducing discipleship. We would make the impact we want. We would be a committed follower of Jesus who that would go on for generation after generation after we invest in people. You speak in here, one of the things you hit pretty hard in the book is you talk about masculinity does not need to be proven. It needs to be affirmed. Mm-hmm. What does that yeah. look like? You know, you got a 13 year old, I'll, I'll go with my youngest at 16, mm-hmm. you know, a newly, a new dad, a father of teenagers, a dad in his fourth mm-hmm. quarter, you know, 70 ish. How, how do you speak yeah. to those stages? What does it mean to not prove it at those various stages of life, but you need to be affirmed. Yeah, yeah. So t- say, you know, my 13-year-old, your 16-year-old or whatever, like they're in that, my son is just getting into adolescence, puberty, all of that sort of stuff. And one of the things that's different about being a man versus being a woman is that for girls my son's age, there are biological changes that happen that very much signify that they are no longer girls and they have now crossing the threshold into being women. There is no biological similar thing that happens for boys. Like there just isn't. Sure, you know, the voice deepens and the hair grows in weird places, all of that sort of <laughs> stuff. But they, there is not a biological, now you're a man, uh, boyhood is gone. What has to happen is as the transition is occurring and as our sons are displaying the traits of manhood, we need to call it out and affirm it. So when my son comes home from football practice and tells me that the coach is asking him to demonstrate how to do things in, on the field and how to move their feet, where their hands need to be, he plays line. So, you know, where his hands needs to be. I want to say to my son, he's teaching you how to be a leader. Mm. Like he's teaching you how to model good behavior to others. And that's awesome and well done. And that, you know, I want to call that out when my son and, youth group is taking some of the younger kids under his belt. And and I want to, I want to say, 
that's what you need to continue to do. That's what it means to be a man is to take up the people who are behind us and shepherd them and mentor them such that coach them so that they can be who God has created them to be. You know, as we get to different stages in life, whether it's the young married man, we need to affirm like, as a, you know, here, here's the parts of you that are already a man. And here's what it looks like to, to love your wife really, really well. And to be someone that she can come to, like be her person that is going to support her. And here's what, how, what it means to learn how to listen well. And, and it just like, not just teaching it, but like, again, affirming this is, this is who you already are. Yeah. Live into it live into it yeah you don't it's a slight difference between like prove it prove it like earn the respect to saying you're already this thing now live into it yeah you know one of the things god's been teaching me that i think probably speaks to that a little bit is really calling out where people are going not where they are like like this is who you're you're becoming you know, I know at Grace College, I'll promote my son's school and my buddies, uh, who's the president up there a little bit more. Their their big mission statement is about it refers to working with people to see them in becoming and belonging. And I really like the word becoming more and more all the time. Like, okay, here's where you're, here's where yeah. you are now, but let's speak to where you are in two years. Let's speak to where you are right. six months from now. Let's speak to where you are next week. You know, there's a lot. Gosh, Nate, there's a lot. I want to lunch with you, like ASAP. You're saying some stuff that's really speaking to me. What about the 70 year old? Let's speak to the maybe grandfatherly types who might be on here. What does that look like? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, for them, like, there's nothing to prove. They're at, you know, like they've done it. Like you lived, especially that. Like my grandfather, when he when he passed away, he was 90 years old, and my my grandma had she had dementia and as her memory began to fade and all of that, my grandfather changed. Like he modeled for me that when you make your marriage vows, you're making them, but you have no idea what you're actually committing to. Mm -hmm. Right. And as she lost her memory, I watched my grandpa who was never a patient man. I mean, he was a good man, but he's never patient. man. I thought watch him become patient. I watched him consider my grandma's needs in ways that she he never did like we used to do these family meals we'd go out to a restaurant and the whole family would be there my dad and his three siblings and their kids and the, you know all those things it was a big old thing and as my grandma's dementia got worse she couldn't handle that and so my grandfather began to have meals at their house with one family at a time mm-hmm. because that was easier for my grandma to mind it wasn't as taxing on her she could be present all of that sort of stuff i saw him learn to ask for what he needed that he needed someone to come and to sit with my grandma a couple days a week so that he could go out and meet with some friends for coffee and all of that sort of stuff. He changed. He loved my grandma really, really well. And he became softer. I mean, that, that to me was a man. And and I want to say to him, yeah. like, I don't know that I need to say anything to him, but for me, that was just like, that's what it, that's what it means. I mean, is that a battle to fight? I don't know. Is that a beauty to win? I don't know. Mm. But like, but he became he became more human. He became more there was there was a fullness to him that I didn't see before. Wow. And uh and, and so like he was still growing, he was still changing. Yeah. And I think I think that that's part of what it means to be a man. It's not something that's men aren't static. This is and this is what I say in the book. Regardless of our definitions of masculinity, we're human beings. Mm-hmm. And we become to be to be a man is also to be human, and to become a more human man is part of the project, right? Like Jesus is the fully human one. Yes, the fully human one, 
and we are made into that image. And so to become like Jesus is to be in process of becoming more human. And whenever I can see someone becoming more human, I want to affirm that. Mm. And I think that's part of the role of men in each other's lives is we don't affirm our masculinity, but we affirm that as men, we are becoming more human. Yeah. And when we see that happening, we say, that's it. Well done. Keep going. You know, it's interesting when I, when we do this podcast, I really pray that God would give some sacred, holy moments. The way you were talking about your grandfather, I could see it non-verbally and the way you're trying to get your words out. It was like, wow, which I knew Nate's grandfather. It was just something about, maybe it's like, again, he's not even trying. It's just who he's becoming. And, you know, John Wooden has the famous quote about the, the day we die is not the day we die. It's the day we stop learning. And I think that sounds yeah. like something that you saw in your grandfather. Very cool. Yeah. It's learning how to be human. And one of the things that I think is lacking within a lot of definitions around masculinity, and one of the things I was trying, I'm trying to recover, and maybe it would be something I'd be more explicit about, but in my conversations around vulnerability and weakness within the book, what I'm trying to do is push men towards being more emotionally aware and to mature, mm. like to better understand what's going on inside of them, to be better, more comfortable with the emotional field that is around us and being more present to it. Mm. And I don't want to use like emotion in that sort of like overly emotive way that we often think about, but just having relational intelligence that allows us to connect with one another yeah. in real meaningful ways. That's really cool. To change real quick, we do these rapid five quick hitting questions. They're super short. First thing comes to your mind. Nate, what's your favorite childhood snack or cereal? Popcorn. Just plain old popcorn? Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, microwave popcorn, come home from school, I'd pop a bag of microwave popcorn and go to the town. Wow. Love the simplicity there. What is your favorite book <laughs> that you most like to gift to other people? If you got a book you could get in a bunch of people's hands, what would it be? Oh man, uh, I would either go with Jaber Crow or a, a River Y. Man, you're killing me. I don't know how many people brought up to me Wendell Berry, and every time I get a book of his, I just can't dig in. And I got to do it because there's a couple that are really <laughs> short, but Jaber Crow is one of the shorter ones, isn't it? Uh, it's a pretty long one, actually. Jaber's, I mean, it's not as, as short as like a Hannah Colter, but it's got some depth to it. It's pretty thick. Man, I don't know how many times I got to do a podcast and have people say something about Wendell Berry before I jump on this thing. So. Pray for me that I jump on this. I'll, I'll take your encouragement. I will. Me. So you're traveling with your kids and your wife, and you're heading on vacation, and you have to stop sooner than you planned on, bathroom break, traffic, whatever, and you stop. I don't assume you've been out west enough for this to, to know about this place, but you stumble across McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, and In-N-Out Burger. Where would you guys stop? Uh, Chick-fil-A. Are you familiar with In-N-Out Burger? I am. I've, yeah, I am familiar with it, but I've got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and chicken is just where it's at these days. Well, so. here's what's funny. We just got one first time ever, like less than a mile from our house. And my wife texted me the other day to like, make sure I knew that they now have a Chick-fil-A, I think it's the regular breaded chicken with pimento cheese on it. I'm like, oh, I'm getting there so <laughs> stinking fast. I said, but, but I'll be honest. I think they stole that from uh, Bojangles. But give me the pimento <laughs> cheese chicken sandwich Chick-fil-A. I'm all over that one. So That's great. Nate, what's the movie that gets you and pulls you in every time you stumble across it? You're like, whether you're solo with your wife, date night, or family, what are you watching every time? Uh, personal, uh, River Runs Through It. Love that movie. Who was in that again? Brad Pitt and then, uh, oh shoot, I can't remember his name. It's going uh, to totally picture his face. He was... 
the flight instructor school from um, Top Gun and the first one. What's his name? Oh, you're not um, talking. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Val Kilmer. Not Val Kilmer. No, not the the the, the instructor. Uh, the, see, I didn't watch. The, I, I only know two people. I've never watched Top Guns, so I can't. I can't add if it's wow. not Tom Cruise. Yeah. People give me grief. But Brad Pitt was like the big name. Okay, I've heard multiple people say it's a great movie. I got to check that out. So here's the important one, Nate. Who is your first celebrity crush? Jessica Biel. Oh, Jessica Biel. Okay. What was that show she was on? It was such a big deal. Seventh Heaven. Yeah. Uh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That's that's Justin Timberlake's wife, right? I think it is. Okay. Lastly, let's go with this because you need to get to a meeting. I really appreciate your grace and your time. And you speak the shifts and changes in manhood and how we kind of adapt with the times. What do you see that we need to be paying attention to now that, you know, 10 years out or whatever will be uh, the next iteration of manhood or just culturally relevant stuff that may not be here yet, but we need to be looking out for it. Yeah, we're in a huge transition time as it pertains to masculinity, how it's expressed and defined and all of that. I mean, there's a between all the gender conversations that are going on and the idea of the fluidity of gender that is kind of taking root within culture. It's just it's left a lot of questions. And then you've got the conservative response to that has been to really go hard on I think older definitions of masculinity, where you are the hard man, you are, you are the provider of your family. Just sort of those old stereotypes are coming back up really, really strongly because of the questions. And there, I don't think there's another. The other side of that conversation isn't happening. There's like a real big vacuum mm. in terms of defining healthy masculinity. There's been a lot of talk about toxic masculinity. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of. I think, healthy discussion about what masculinity looked like in the 21st century. I think in the next 10 years, there's going to be a major redefining of that. And I almost see two camps happening where, again, one is that, you know, the hard, stoic fighting, provide for your family, all of that sort of stuff. And then the other one is, I think, going to be not a genderless male, but hopefully what I what I would like to see happen is a really good concrete conversation about what is an emotionally mature masculinity looks look like that isn't defined necessarily about the externals, uh, but definitely about the internals and a return to character of really good conversations around character and masculinity. I love the relationship aspect and emotional intelligence side. I could tell you really come at things with. So, Nate, I appreciate time. What's what's the best way for people to know more about you? I don't know if it's going to directly to Amazon or your church's website. Where should people go to find out more and dig in? And you got another book out too that yeah. people might want to notice. So I've got books out. They can find my stuff on Amazon. They can search my name, Nate Pyle. Don't get confused with the cartoonist Nathan Pyle. That mm. happens a lot. Even our publishers mess that up. Where I got like a box of his books sent to my house. Oh, wow. It's really nice. <laughs> So yeah, Amazon, you can go to my website, natepile.com. I'm on the Twitter, at natepile79. Same thing with Instagram and now threads. If you want to go to the church website, it's just cccfishers.org, uh, and they can find sermons and a little bit about me about there as well. Well, Nate, it's been a real pleasure. You've you've challenged me, you've encouraged me, and uh, definitely hope to have some dialogue offline and see where we can tag team for the sake of men for the gospel. All right, thank you so much. Right. It's great being here. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at GatheringMiamiValley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.